All right, everybody. Thank you for your patience. Uh, if you will, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That will be our primary text today. Uh, and as we engage in this study, I, I maybe need to point out what we often do on First Sunday. Uh, we will, every other Sunday of the week, go through chapter by chapter to study a particular book of the Bible. Usually, we're doing, like right now, we're doing Romans. But on first Sunday, on the first Sunday of the month, I try to teach something that is particularly theologically pertinent, or at times, what we're doing is taking a systematic approach. Thank you, brother. Uh, taking a systematic approach to addressing a key issue in culture that Scripture has something to say about. And so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, every now and then, people will say, hey, Pastor Dan, could you teach on this issue? Uh, well, this uh, today uh, was a request of one of our deacons saying like, hey, I think it would be helpful to not just study how to respond in obedience to God, but how to deal with persecution and adversity. And so we will primarily be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, but as you well know, uh, we handle this from a... Yes, from a theological perspective, and so we'll be addressing several different passages. Uh, so, first of all, hold on just a second. I've got it. All right, thank you all. I, I normally just talk loud, but when we have more people in here, people have trouble hearing me, uh, which is something my mother thought would never happen. Uh, so, yeah, that's good. So uh, one of the things I would like to point out is that it is often seen that when we're talking about persecution, we tend to think about something that happened in the first century. We think about Christians being thrown to the lions. We think about Nero lighting Christians on fire in order to host his garden parties. And those were indeed difficult times. Uh, but let's point something out, that at this moment in history right now, there is more Christian persecution, arguably, than there has ever been. And that should sober us immediately because the reality is if we look to places like North Korea or if we look to places like Saudi Arabia, we see intense persecution. In Iran, in Pakistan, uh, in India, the Hindus are persecuting the Christians. Uh, in China, the Chinese government is persecuting Christians. I have students in my online class in China that are listening to lectures on theology and truth that if the Chinese Communist Party knew about, they could be in grave danger. And so I think we should just point out that suffering for the cause of Christ is happening arguably now more than ever. The second thing I will point out is that scripture lists several different types of persecution. And just because someone is not being tortured for their faith does not mean they're not being persecuted. Uh, many of us during COVID recognized that there were pastors in Canada and in Spokane, Washington, uh, and in various parts of the United States that were being persecuted simply for gathering. We were just discussing this morning, John MacArthur's church faced fines. They threatened to turn off their power just because they were meeting in a time when nobody was getting sick. They just wanted to preach the gospel and say, hey, uh, Governor Newsom or... Prime Minister Trudeau, or who, whatever name you want to put in there, um, you are not in charge of God's body. And so we must obey God rather than men. And so let's face that fact. We have, I have direct relation to brothers and sisters who are being fined and persecuted in Canada now for their obedience to God then. 
And can we also just acknowledge that within the United States, we have even now a Christian cake baker is being persecuted because he will not affirm sodomy on a wedding cake. And so can we just be very, very clear that persecution is not something that is distant and far off only. It's something that is happening even now and at times closer than we might think. Uh, if you want to speak out about wicked things going on in story hours in schools, you are likely to be threatened or canceled or uh, maybe not invited back to your job because we have a very real problem. Let me just acknowledge something, though. When Jesus speaks of persecution, or when scripture in general speaks of persecution, uh, it's kind of promised. And so if you would look to just a few passages here, we just did a study of Revelation not long ago. Jesus, in speaking to the church, says this, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the scripture says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 3, 3 through 4, it says that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Notice he says, we are destined for this. So notice the surety in the language here. Uh, Matthew 10, 16 through 18 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will devour, or deliver you over into the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. We see this. This is what happens, by the way. Jesus predicts this, and then it happens in the book of Acts. They're brought before the magistrates, and they're brought before the synagogues. And what was the purpose every time? It was to preach the gospel. And notice that every time in the book of Acts, when they're arrested, what do they do? Preach the gospel. Paul used his imprisonment and eventual uh, imprisonment in Rome in order to get to Rome and preach the gospel more. Every opportunity was an opportunity to preach the gospel. More on that later. I know that's my favorite line, and I say that all the time, but more on that later. Um, I want to just point out, in Scripture, we see different types of persecution listed, and I think it's worth paying attention to what they are here. At times, we see in 1 Peter chapter 4 and Psalm 69 that even insults are considered a form of persecution. Now, we are in a time, we are in a time where many in what we would call Big Eva uh, we generally refer to the, the large conglomerates of evangelicalism that have drifted outside of a lot of faithful orthodoxy, seem to be now teaching things that are contrary to what is plainly evangelicalism. And one of the things we've seen recently is when a faithful brother in Christ, for instance, James Coates in Canada, I almost said China because they are beginning to look very similar, uh, or Pastor Tim Stevens there, when they have stood up and said, hey, we're going to have church even though the government says we can't, there were evangelicals in the United States that were saying, like, you guys, quit being difficult. Can you not just go along? Romans 13, right? And that whole thing. And then when we're like, hey, man, our brothers in Christ are being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. They're like, that's not real persecution. And then they would say something to the effect of, 
well, you know, real persecution is what's happening in Iran. Real persecution is something else. And I would say that is certainly more severe, no question. Like our brother James uh, spent about a month in jail away from his family, and that was rough. I recognize it's not the same as him being tortured. It's not the same as him being martyred. And yet, what we see described in Scripture is that this is still persecution. And I think of in Scripture when it says, Woe to those who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. When I hear those from Big Eva, or at times from the Gospel Coalition, which is unfortunately becoming a more ironic name for that, that website, when I hear them say things like, Ah, it's not real persecution. It feels a whole lot, peace, peace, when there is no peace. We just acknowledge, brothers and sisters, there's persecution, and it is in varying degrees. But insults alone are considered persecution. Slander in Revelation 2.9 is considered persecution. Beatings, of course, more severe in Isaiah 50, considered persecution. Uh, stoning, as we see in Acts 14 and other places, that's persecution. Uh, mocking in Luke 23, considered persecution. Ostracism, John 9.22, persecution. Intimidation and threats, Acts 4, 21 and 29, it's persecution. Imprisonment in Mark 6, 17, definitely persecution. Exile, Revelation 1, 9, persecution. I'm bringing this up because I think it's worth noting that when we see persecution, it's so easy to say, ah, it's not the worst kind, so it shouldn't really count. Well, if God says it's persecution, it's persecution. If, if there is some form of suffering happening here for the cause of Christ, first of all, God's getting glory for that. But second, let us not look to a brother who is being persecuted and saying, it's not a big deal, man. Get over it. We should say, praise the Lord, that you are being counted worthy to suffer along with Christ in this way. All this said, I want to first begin with some encouragement. Uh, John 16:33, as persecution is promised, Jesus says this thing. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. A simple promise here that Jesus makes is that persecution is guaranteed, tribulation is guaranteed. I would note that tribulation is not limited merely to persecution. Tribulation can be the loss of a loved one. Tribulation can be uh, financial struggle. Con tribulation can be a whole lot of things, and Jesus says... In this world, you will have tribulation. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Before we go into anything else here, what must be acknowledged is that Jesus has already won. As you all well know, we hold to a reformed view of history in which we understand that Jesus, that God from eternity has declared all that shall be. He is accomplishing his plan and there is nothing that can stop his divine will. And so when Jesus says, I've overcome the world, it's not just a like, hey, guys, we're trying really hard. It's no, no, no. From an eternal perspective, this is done. And now we are just seeing it played out in history to fulfill his plan and his purpose. All that said, I think we're past my intro. All right. So if you would turn with me, don't worry. So for those of you who are new, I am known for long introductions for short sermons. So if you're like, oh, no, that was a really long intro. That's not even a long intro, you guys. Don't worry. Um, so 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Now, many of us recognize uh, when we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, what do we immediately think of? We generally will think of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which is the passage that we most often use to refer to the doctrine of inspiration of Scripture, that Scripture is, as we say in Greek, theanoustos. It is breathed out by God. It is his very word. As such, it is inerrant. It is perfect. It is authoritative. 
And it's interesting, though, we very seldom look at the full context of this passage. First of all, we are right to cite that scripture. Don't think I'm saying that we've gotten it wrong. But I think we should point out that there's a context to what Paul is saying here, one that I would say is very encouraging. So beginning in verse 10, 2 Timothy 3, he says, You, however, oh, and I need to say this. Paul is writing to his protege, right? Uh, we talk about the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, right? These are epistles where Paul has set someone in place, functioning as a pastor. Now he's writing to them and saying, and he's equipping them and saying, guys, keep up the good work and here's what you need to be doing. So recognizing this, he says this, verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Praise the Lord. So he's like, Timothy, you know I suffered. Like, you were probably there with me. Some cases you suffered with me. You know I suffered, and God rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think it is important for us to parse out exactly what he is saying here. Notice he says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't say all who speak the name of Christ. He doesn't say all who say, Lord, Lord. He says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't say some who desire to live a godly life. The idea here is that it is promised that some level of persecution will be faced by every faithful believer. I don't know how to read this, not to mention the whole council of scripture, as anything other than a promise that we will suffer for the cause of Christ if we are desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Uh, I was telling someone beforehand, uh, my brother and his wife used to attend a church in Hollywood that was uh, generally evangelical, maybe not as strong on some things, but they would preach the gospel and you could believe things there. As time went on, they began to drift into more error, affirming homosexuality, affirming several other things. Um, and let me just tell you, like they're right in the heart of a place that needs the gospel and needs the truth of God spoken. Interestingly enough, they're not being persecuted. They go to gay pride events. They go to all these other things. My brother has long since left this church and rebuked them. Uh, you can pray for my brother because he's still trying to uh, share the gospel with those who are there. But notice, they don't get persecuted because there is no interest for them in trying to live a godly life. Conversely, for the faithful believer who says, no, like I know this is a hard thing to say, but God does not affirm that sin. Uh, for the person who faithfully tries to proclaim the gospel, who says, well, I know the government says that this is what we're supposed to do, but God says this is what we're supposed to do, and I'm going to obey him rather than men. When we do those kinds of things, we can expect that there will be persecution in the form of mockery, in the form of ridicule, in the form of maybe these softer things, but at times, maybe in more severe things. So notice the next verse. It says, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I think we should point something out here. The target here is those who desire to live a godly life. The carnal Christians, they don't care about, right? The target is the faithful believer. Second, the perpetrators 
are going to not just be evil people, that would be people outside the church, but also imposters. The implication here is that there are those who proclaim the name of Christ, but who do not seek to live a godly life, who are bringing about their own form of persecution from within. That's why he says evil people and imposters says will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, you all have probably heard me use the phrase that our choice is always Christ or chaos. That God created the universe, he created with order and beauty, he has built in logic, the ability for knowledge. Everything in this world is designed to be ordered so that we may know him as he reveals himself in it through his word and through natural revelation. We understand that then, that God is the source of all things. In fact, scripture says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. So outside of following God, what is there other than deception and deceit? And you will notice that Satan's children tend to act like him in that they deceive and that they go from bad to worse. And so how interesting here, when Paul is writing about persecution, he references the idea that there will be deceit. It will come from both the outside and the inside as evil people go from bad to worse. The idea is that just maybe, maybe the persecution itself goes from bad to worse. Maybe it's just the deceit. Either way, it's not a good thing. Their method, though, consistently is deceiving and being deceived. So let's continue. Notice then, here's the theme here, is persecution. Paul is writing with the theme of persecution, the theme of deceit, the theme of, theme of both imposters and those outside the church that are causing trouble here. Verse 14, but as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Can we point something out here? Uh, notice, I will often teach on the authority and inerrancy of Scripture, and I will use this passage, and rightly so. How interesting, though, that this passage is brought up in the context of persecution and deceit. And he is saying, here's what those who are evil people and imposters, they're going to go, on, go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you remain in what you know. And notice he says, because from childhood you were taught the things of God. And this is one thing we know about Timothy. He grew up in a home that was a faithful God-fearing home, and his mother seemed to be a faithful Jewish woman who taught him the truth. And so he is saying, remember the things you were taught from childhood. Now, I don't want to say that functionally what was happening in Jewish homes is the exact same as catechism, but it's pretty doggone similar. Things like, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like the idea that that was memorized, that that was catechized into brothers and sisters before Christ was here, but <laughs> in brothers and sisters of the Jewish faith, and that that was carrying over. And what is Paul saying? He's like, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face deceit. Hold fast to what you have been taught from childhood. In other words, remember that thing that your mom told you when you were four and she made you memorize it? Hold on to that, brother. So here is a grown man facing legitimate persecution 
legitimate suffering, legitimate struggles, legitimate deceit, and he is called upon to hold on to the things that he was taught when he was young. Praise God. But he doesn't end there. He says, and the scripture itself, which as he's mentioning is God's word, he mentions that it is God-breathed, that is the ultimate authority and without error, and that is sufficient. He's like everything you need to be fully equipped. So as we consider this, I want to think about the, the very notable distinction between those who are deceiving and being deceived. The imposters going from bad to worse will continually function in deceit and destruction and troublesomeness. And the faithful will hold fast to orthodoxy, to the word of God, will teach it and live in simple obedience to it. Um, more on this later, as we often say. Uh, similarly, we see in John 15, uh, 18 through 21, Jesus is speaking and he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. And we have seen this example. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Notice that there is a message here that persecution is confirming that you belong to Jesus, right? It is very simple. Either you will do the things that this world loves and they will love you for it, or you will do the things that God has commanded. You will love him, you will proclaim the gospel, you will obey God rather than men, and as you do that, they are going to hate you. It is expected. He says, guys, they hated me, you are mine, they're going to hate you too. You're not any greater than me. If I suffered, you are going to suffer too. The idea here is that the world hates Christ, so they hate his followers. If you belong to the world, it would love you. And so there's a little bit of encouragement here in that like, eh, persecution proves whose you are. Continuing on, down in verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, quite specifically, this is a very key passage that is used to acknowledge that the apostles have authority in the writing in the New Testament, and that the Holy Spirit is doing a work along with them. I would argue, though, that there is also a principle, and that we know that the Holy Spirit comes to convict the world through sin. There is a reason why he is called the helper, that he is at work, and we can say the Holy Spirit comforts us. He reminds us of the truth. He does so many wonderful things. But also, note that there is something that the Holy Spirit does in the work of the person as you share the gospel with them. He does a convicting work that is assisting in the evangelistic process. As you proclaim the gospel, the Holy Spirit goes into the heart of the elect and he does a work. He is helping complete this work. And notice that Jesus, when he's talking about persecution and he's talking about all, the, all these other things, he's like, the Holy Spirit is going to help you. And he is going to ensure that as you are in these situations, you are proclaiming the word of God for the sake of the gospel and they are being drawn to Christ. Uh, so similarly, uh, let's jump on down here to Matthew 5, chapter 10. I just want to point out a few key things that we see in Scripture. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, he says, Jesus is speaking, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Notice that the message here is that those who are persecuted gain the kingdom of God. And we are once again reminded to rejoice. I think we're going to see this a little bit more. On down in Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus said, I truly, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You guys hear this? Like the language is, yeah, you, you are going to lose something when you follow Jesus. You, you just might actually physically lose your home. Hopefully not, but it can happen. And he's saying that, but I am promising provision for you. If we're not careful, this will be turned into a health and wealth prosperity message, but that's not what's happening here, right? What he is saying is you lose it, but guess what? You gain the family of God. There is provision, there is love, there is care, and the Lord is with you in it. It says we gain 100-fold and more, and then he says, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. On down in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, 9 through 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. For whatever reason, there seems to be a way in which in the suffering of persecution, God strengthens us uniquely, and he does a special kind of work. And we saw it over the course of the first three to four centuries. Christianity went from being a blip on the radar, nobody seemed to know or care, to isolated pockets of persecution, to Nero saying, this, these guys are a problem. And suffering increased, and we saw more and more suffering until suddenly we had won, not suddenly, but over the course of about three or four centuries, most of the known world had been won to Christ, and I hope Constantine made a genuine conversion, but it might have been a little bit of, if you can't beat him, join him. Um, but we saw the entire world change as we were made strong in our weakness. Ongoing. Um, I think I want to point out something very briefly. Sorry, I know we're just kind of hitting a smattering of things today. But I've noticed something. Uh, I am blessed to be, I follow a podcast called Carpe Fide, and they're brothers in Christ. We're in a podcast and network together. And during the worst of the pandemic persecutions, uh, they were supporting Pastor James Coates and some other guys in Canada. And so as a result of that, we've got this little texting chat going on. And so I have like my persecuted heroes that every now and then I'm like, ooh, I'm in a group text with them, right? Um, and something has come up, though, uh, both through that and other things. I've noticed that it's really easy to get upset about what's happening in the world, right? Like, I can get really angry. I'll just speak very plainly. I do believe that our current president is a tyrant. I get angry. I get angry when the IRS is being used to go after faithful groups that are just trying to do things that are good, um, I get angry when the Obergefell decision is being used to keep pro-life groups from completing the work or, or maybe even adoption agencies because they will not hire gays that they get in trouble. I, I get really angry, right? 
uh, when I see shady stuff going on and I see uh, that you know we have federal officers that are raiding things that aren't even a threat and then we're like, well, we've got video evidence of this thing. Why aren't you doing anything about that? I get angry. And have you all noticed it's easier to be angry? Right? It's, it's easier for me to say, like, I can't believe what they did to James Coates. Let's get some ARs and let's go up to Canada. Let's invade, right? It's easier. I'm not serious. That was joking, <laughs> hypothetically in Minecraft. But it, it's easier, right? It's easier to be angry, isn't it? Right? It's a whole lot easier to be angry than it is to repent of my own sin. Right? It is easier to see what a terrible tyranny we see creeping into our country than it is for me to wield out parts of my heart that I know are sinful. When I am selfish, when I am anxious, it is a whole lot easier to look at how evil these other things are or to say, well, we got to do something to support our brother James Coates. And let me just tell you, I'm so glad when we support brothers and sisters who are suffering, right? But it's a lot easier to get angry than it is to repent of my own sin. But what has been the theme throughout this entire study this morning? It is all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say that you're going to be persecuted because you're associated with a more conservative political party. It doesn't say that you're going to be persecuted because you got really angry because they're overtaxing us. It says that those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, and that for the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel. So we see in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he says very clearly, to obey is better than sacrifice. And the children of Israel were happy to just say, ah, yeah, whatever, the law, whatever, yeah, you told us to do this, whatever. I'll just make a sacrifice for that later, right? Yeah, we've got this identity as God's people, and no big deal, we'll put a sacrifice, whatever. And the prophet says, no, 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 to obey is better than sacrifice. And I think in our day, it's a lot easier to say, like, I'm so mad about taxes, I'm so mad about the overreach of the government, I'm so mad about how they're treating this guy or that guy or the Colorado cake baker guy, and I'm like, we've got to do something and let's vote. And I'm like, I'm all for these things, brothers and sisters. I will just point out it's a whole lot easier to get angry and to say things or to post things or even to vote than it is to love my wife as Christ loves the church. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to show up faithfully every Sunday morning and fellowship with the saints and preach the gospel and teach the word and minister to one another. Those are the hard things, right? We should desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Romans 12, 18 says, As much as is possible, live as peaceable with all men. In Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, we're commanded to assemble with the saints. In Ephesians 4, 28, we're commanded to work hard at whatever vocation we have. And we could probably make a much longer list than this, but can I just point out what God wants for you is not merely for you to get really angry and say, People are being persecuted. You know what? I would even say he doesn't also want you merely, keyword, when you are mocked for the cause of Christ to say, mm, good, I'm getting persecuted, so I must be doing something right. Well, maybe you are. But also, if you get persecuted on Monday and you go home Monday night and you are awful to your family, you are unkind, or if, or if you're lazy in your work and you're not doing things as to the Lord, well, guess what? Man, you're... You're not living a godly life in Christ Jesus, right? You're you're actually not building the kingdom of God if that's how you're living your life. God wants us to do the basic, plain things. 
for his glory. And then when persecution comes, praise God, we're going to give him glory in the midst of it. Uh, All that said, I wanted to share a couple of resources because I'm saying all this to say I I think we can expect some increase in persecution. It's part of why we have planted house churches as opposed to a traditional church. Um, I want to share a few resources, one of them being uh, Tortured for Christ by Richard Wormbrand. Uh, It's a good book. Highly recommend it. Uh, Another one would be A Christian Manifesto by Francis Schaeffer. Uh, Francis Schaeffer was way ahead of his time talking about the things that are going crazy right now. And I remember him back in the, well, I can't say I remember it was before I was born, but before I was born in the 70s, he was producing videos that was pointing out, here's what's going to happen in our culture. And here we are. Um, things related to like reducing the population and things related to weird stuff with vaccines. He was talking about all that way back. Uh, A third I will recommend, if you do not have AGTV, I highly recommend it. It's good gospel-centered movies and documentaries. Uh, On there is a documentary called Puritan that was made by Media Gradier. I never can say that right. I need to take Latin. I need need some of our homeschool kids to teach me Latin. Anyway, um, Puritan is a documentary tracing the lives of the Puritans. Puritans get a bad rap, you guys. The Puritans knew how to party. I'm not kidding. The Puritans were known for dressing in bright colors and really liking beer. I'm not joking. The Puritans were joyful people. Uh, I don't think they had all their theology right, but they had a whole lot of it. They were joyful in their hope, and they endured hundreds of years of persecution and saw positive things happen. Highly recommend that documentary. Also, of course, yes. AGTV. And I think if you go to watchagtv.com, Greg works for them, actually, now that I think about it. So... Uh, the subtitles, if you see a misspelled subtitle, probably, probably wasn't great. Um, the other thing I would recommend, read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Brothers and sisters, I don't think we've learned enough about the history of our church and the sufferings that people before us have endured. Reading about it is encouraging. Um, the last one I would say is The Pilgrim's Progress. If you have not ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to read Pilgrim's Progress. If you have read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to read Pilgrim's Progress again. Um, it is the number two best-selling book of all time behind the Bible. Uh, it is a wonderful allegory of the Christian life that is, I just, I can't recommend it enough. It deals with not just suffering for the cause of Christ, but also just living faithfully. Highly recommend. Uh, all that said, I am going to pray, and then who is on for the gospel? All right, cool. Father God, I recognize that this morning um, I have preached a whole lot of details in here. And um, Lord, I recognize that at times I deliver and there are Sundays where I'm like, oh, this is punching just right. And other Sundays where I'm like, well, the word of God was taught nonetheless. And so Lord, I pray that today that the truth of your word would seep into us deeply, uh, that we would recognize what it has said about you, that you are a holy God who who desires obedience rather than sacrifice. You want us to be faithful and to love you. Uh, But Lord, also, we also recognize that we always fall short. Um, Central to all of this is the necessity of the gospel of salvation in Christ alone, by grace alone, because of your atoning sacrifice, Lord Jesus. So may we faithfully proclaim the gospel. And God, would you continue to do a work in us that we would joyfully, day by day, obey you, preach your gospel, and do all the things that build your kingdom. God, give us a heart for the things that are known for being mundane and because those are the things that matter. God, how I treat my wife every day, how I love my children, how I disciple them, uh, how we love one another here, how we obey you, how we seek you in prayer. 
uh, how we faithfully do our jobs. All of these things, Lord, are for your glory. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.